Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Please be seated. First of all, it's good to be back. My family and I had a little bit of time away over the course of July, and uh, we were thankful for that time of rest. Thank you for all who prayed for us and supported us. Uh, And so we are uh, back, relaxed, ready to go uh, for for a big fall. And it is especially good to be here this morning on this important day for our church and for Jared and for his family. I'm honored that he has asked me to preach although he may not be so thankful after what I have to say to him uh, over the course of today. Uh, This sermon is a little bit different than most. As preachers, we normally don't preach to one person. Um, It may feel like it sometimes when you leave and you go, were you preaching that sermon just for me? But despite your your worst fears, um, we do not think throughout the week, what does this person need to hear? Sometimes the Holy Spirit takes the word and grinds it into your heart and your mind a little bit. Um, But this sermon is a little bit different because there is a primary audience of one uh, for this sermon. I'm preaching to Jarrett. But that doesn't leave you off the hook and that you just get to go to sleep uh, for a little while either. I I encourage you to listen well to this as as we understand the role of the priest in the church as we understand the work of the Lord in, uh, in our lives. Last, uh, last bit of housekeeping before we really jump into this. I just want to answer quickly, what is a priest? When we use the word priest, it's simply, we see it simply as a translation of the Greek word presbyteros, or presbyter, which means elder. That doesn't mean old. That means uh, someone in a spiritual place of, of authority, uh, hopefully wisdom uh, and guidance as well. So the Greek word is presbyteros that has been translated into the word priest. Uh, it, it, it's important to recognize we don't see that as the same as the Old Testament kind of priest who, uh, who made sacrifices. We don't sacrifice anything except our own lives. Um, we don't sacrifice anything on the altar. Uh, that's been done by Jesus Christ once and for all. And so think when we say the word priest, think of the word elder. Oftentimes people use the word pastor in the West these days, and that's part of our role is pastoring. But it's not the completeness of our role in word and sacrament as well, which we'll talk about. Okay, Um, so we believe in the priesthood of all believers, and then out of the priesthood of all believers, particular people are asked and called out to serve in particular roles of deacon, priest, and bishop. So then, Jared. We get to the work that you are being called to and the office to which you are being ordained, and I will not mince words with you this morning. So buckle up. Let's begin at the beginning where Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection is your life, your message, your purpose, your method of ministry. It's the only hope for the world and for your own soul. 
you must be cut to the heart by the gospel and you must unashamedly share it with everyone you meet. That, those are the vows that you are taking today. You cannot effectively serve in this role nor will you survive this weighty office unless you recognize that you are a man saved only by grace. The gospel of grace must be the first words on your lips in the morning and the last you utter before you go to sleep. You are not worthy of the role of being a priest. None of us are, except for our great high priest, Jesus himself. You cannot lead the people, bear their burdens, walk with them in their pain, confront them in their sin by the power of your own giftedness. No offense, Jared, but we do not need Jared Wenzel as a priest, nor do we want your flesh. We need Jesus as lived out in your flesh and then your ministry becomes invaluable to the life of the church. A ministry built upon your personality, your wisdom, your communication skills will crumble and burn in the end. Ask the many who have taken these vows before you and then ended in scandal or brokenness. Jared, this is of utmost importance. The collar that we wear represents the collars around the neck of slaves. We are slaves of Christ, slaves of righteousness, slaves to the church. We serve another master. The itchy plastic thing that we get to have around our necks and rubs on us reminds us of this daily. We are not our own. When we take these vows, we lay down our lives for Christ. But take heart, dear friend, for Jesus said that whoever seeks to save his life must lose it. And in giving your life to the service of Jesus and his church, you have found your life. There's great joy in ministry, new life in baptism, new health in absolution, tears of joy as those who need provision are provided for, deep satisfaction as we stand for righteousness. You get to witness healing and hope, love and learning, family and friendship, rage turned to peace, fear turned to hope, brokenness turned to wholeness. You get to be at the waters of baptism and at the altar of marriage and beside the grave at death. You have a ringside seat for the battle of Christ against Satan's sin and death, and in his train, you will be one of the victors. So the description of this role of priest of which you are now being ordained, assuming you want to continue, um, I'll just check in from time to time. If you ever want to just leave, we'll understand and we'll change the rest of the service. In a moment, you will be charged by the bishop with the historic words of the ordinal, which have been read, has been read challenged to ordinance for many hundreds of years, and which define the office of the priesthood. The bishop will read, You have heard during the church's discernment of your vocation and the holy scriptures themselves how weighty is this office to which you are called. And I now exhort you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be a messenger, a watchman, and a steward of the Lord. You are to teach, to warn, to feed, and to provide for the Lord's family and to seek for Christ's sheep who are in the midst of this fallen world that they may be saved through Christ forever. The three duties outlined here, messenger, watchman, steward. Let's go through those. The priest as a messenger. The priest as a messenger, the messenger is a prophetic office. In the days before electronic communication or even mail, a king would have to send his decrees through a trusted messenger. The message 
did not belong to the messenger. He only carried the message from the king under his seal. The messenger is the steward of someone else's message. And you as a priest are a priestly messenger to bring the word of God to the church and to the world. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. A faithful messenger must be precise and complete, bringing the entire message, not a summary or only the parts of the word that are going to make people feel good and not be comfortable. You must bring the entire message, the entire counsel of the word of God. We must reprove, rebuke, exhort, encourage, as Paul tells Timothy again in in 2 Timothy 4, with complete patience and teaching. We are called to teach about the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 28 says, with all boldness and without hindrance. You are a messenger in word and sacrament. So preach boldly, preach correctly, preach the gospel and nothing else. Paul said to the Corinthians that he came to them in fear and trembling, knowing nothing but Christ and him crucified. And that is all that you should know as well. Presume to know nothing else. Every sermon, every time you lead the liturgy, every time you counsel or lead or speak or teach or preside over the table of communion, it is always to proclaim the message of the crucified and risen Christ. You are a messenger. The messenger is also a missionary office. The message we bring is a message of invitation and harvest. We should, ex- we should expect not only to shepherd well those who are within the walls of the church, but to gather those who are without. The priest has a primary calling to both awaken the congregation and to gather the lost. We must model evangelism ourselves. As Anglican priest George Whitfield reportedly said, God forbid that I should travel with anybody a quarter of an hour without speaking of Christ to them. Archbishop Michael Ramsey said, the duty of the church is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. We bring the message of God to the church and to the world with rousing passion to awaken the sleeping Christian and with gentleness to never break the bruised reed or quench the smoldering wick. Spurgeon described George Whitfield saying that his preaching was at once like Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, and at the next moment, like bow and air gaze, which means sons of thunder. Preaching like this has at many times set the world on fire with revivals. You are a messenger of the word of God. The ordinal then says that you are a watchman. The image here is a night watchman guarding the camp, guarding the walls of the city, who is on duty to guard those who need to be kept safe on the inside. He's a shrewd protector so that his people can rest easy and in confidence, knowing that someone they trust is on watch. A watchman must have eyes for both opportunity and danger. The priest is to guard those under his care. So you must be concerned for the spiritual, physical, and relational health of your people. Coupled with the watchman on the the wall, a common biblical image of the leader uh, or the priest is of the shepherd guarding the flock. And, and the shepherd, where the word pastor comes from, 
is often depicted in this beautiful scene with Jesus nuzzling and snuggling with a, uh, with a fuzzy little sheep, and it's all beautiful and cute, and that's good and right. But being a shepherd is not just about enjoying the affection of the flock. There are threats to the flock, both from without and within. From without, there are wolves that would eat them, and you must put yourself between the flock and the danger. The world, the flesh, and the devil would lead the people of the church to wrong doctrine and belief. As 16th century Archbishop Edwin Sandys once said, I think it my duty to exhort you, defend the faith of Christ even until blood and unto death. And these are no mere sentiments. These are the vows that we take. The purity of our doctrine, the clear teaching of Scripture, the holiness of the church, the need for repentance and grace, all must be taught and defended. As priests, we lay down our lives for the truth of the Bible and in defense of the church. One Catholic bishop said, I expect that I will die in my bed. My successor will die in prison, and his successor will die a martyr in the public square. And then his successor, will pick up the shards of a ruined society and slowly help rebuild civilization as the church has done so often in human history. Such is our vow and our calling as a priest. Whether you die in bed, in prison, or on a martyr's pyre, may you do so defending the faith once delivered to the saints, for you are a watchman. But threats to the flock do not only come from without, sheep sometimes bite each other, and you. With love, gentleness, respect, and proper authority, you must not only watch, but be ready to act when outward or inward dangers threaten. Some threats are overt, such as those of physical, sexual, or emotional abuse, and theft, and embezzlement. You must make sure that you work as part of your calling as a priest to make sure that the proper systems are in place, and the proper environment is in place, and the proper watch is in place, that these things do not happen in the church. But there are also much more subtle threats that would wound the church. Things like fear, or an attitude of scarcity, or gossip, or cynicism, or conflict, or grumbling, or complaining, or just a gentle inward turn that leads us to focus all of our energy inward rather than outward. We must be willing to wade into difficult situations to bring protection and help for the flourishing of the people of the church. Those are the vows that you make today. To be a healthy watchman, however, you must not only notice threats, but victories as well. It's easy as a church leader and as a priest, you just want to fix what is broken and to develop what is lacking. And we can accidentally become overly focused on the task of ministry rather than the development of the people. I know that in my own garden at home, I oftentimes will, will harvest the vegetables that are there and bring them inside, just kind of set them down, just go back out to start weeding again instead of stopping and actually enjoying the fruit of ministry. Enjoy your community. Enjoy the people of the church. Enjoy the fruits of ministry. Be on the lookout for a tendency to only notice the work that needs to be done and neglecting to feast and to give thanks as to what the Lord has accomplished. Finally, our role as watchmen inherently brings both an urgency and a hope. The psalmist declares, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. 
My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. We are ever watching and ever vigilant for the coming of Christ, which produces a missional exigency and expectation within us. There's more at stake here than simply filling a room for a worship service on a Sunday morning. There are souls in the balance. The eminence of the return of Christ should hurry our steps. But this fire within us does not consume us, however, for what we watch for is not a deadline that we stress over before the coming of Christ, but rather a finish line when we have completed our ministry and we can then rest. Finally is this. The priest is a steward. This church, these people who are given to our care, this table that we stand behind, this word that we deliver, they don't belong to us. We are merely stewards. They are not for us to do whatever makes us most comfortable or is least, it brings the least amount of risk. Our God is a God of mission and our God is a sending God and the role of the priest is to steward the church over which he has charge to be an effective part of what God is doing. Our primary question for the church is not, what do the people want? Neither is it, what do I want for the church? It is, what does God want for the church? Because what God wants for his church is truly what is best for the people and for us. One day, you will have to give an account before God of your work as a priest. Always remember that. James 3 says that you will be judged more strictly. Your first duty is to help lead a church in which the pure word of God is preached and the sacraments are duly administered. All this for the purpose of building up the people to flourishing and to send them out into the work of mission. You must steward both the primacy of word and sacrament and a sustained missional effort, equipping the saints, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, for the work of ministry. And you can only steward the people of the church and the work of the church if you are a man of prayer, devoted to prayer, struggling for the church in prayer, seeking the Lord's blessing, listening for his voice, asking for his strength, begging for his guidance, praying that all that you do is for his glory. All that you do must be bathed in prayer, for this is not your work. It is the work of the Lord. Lots of things will be said to you today, given to you today. We'll probably clap for you today. I think there's a cake today for you. But today is less about you than it is about Jesus. And it is so important that you remember that every day of your ministry. Because in your ministry, you will find that you are lacking and that you are afraid and that you are hurt and that you are broken and that the task is beyond you. You must be a man of prayer who finds the strength and finds the will to carry on from the arms of the Savior through prayer. Stewarding the people under your care also means pastoring well. You, you get to have a job where your job is to love people really well. What an amazing job that is. The problem is sometimes they don't want to be loved, um, and that's, uh, that becomes a sticky situation, or they don't understand exactly how, what kind of love is best. And so it's not as easy as it sounds, but it is a task and it is a role worth giving your life for. 
part of loving your people is also modeling for your people what it means to be, to be a man of Christ. Paul says, and this should scare us to death, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Hey, right? Did you just hear that? Like Paul just said, if you want to know how to belong to Christ, look at me. I, that's scary for me. Uh, if it's not scary for you, let's pause for a minute, and you and I are going to go have a chat. That should be extremely scary. It's only under grace that we can end in that place to say, I'm striving, and I need forgiveness, and I'm a man who is, whose spirit is willing, but whose flesh is weak. It's the way Paul describes himself and how we need to describe ourselves as well. But we must model for the church what it means to live a life for Christ and the ups and the downs and the victories and the defeats. If you desire for your church to hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you must hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you want to lead a church of generous people, they need to experience generosity from you. If your home is a place of hospitality, more people in your church will open their homes as well. Steward your flock, not just with words, but in your example. And lastly, under steward, I list leadership. It may be one of the first things we think of when we think of a priest of a church, but leadership is not godly or ultimately successful if it is not built upon the rest of stewardship as we've already laid out. Teaching, warning, feeding, providing for the flock, seeking the lost sheep. The quality of your leadership is not gauged by whether the church has fulfilled your vision, but whether your people have become more like Christ. Your value as a leader is not recognized through the bestowing of titles or the awe others have for the size of your church. Or it is what Paul says that your people are your letter of recommendation to be known and read by all. Your call is to raise up a holy people. So now while you sit and stew on those things for just a minute, steward, watchman, messenger, you just, just sit in that for just a second. I want to speak to the rest of us for a minute. Remember, while you're stewing, grace, okay, just remember grace as the weight of all of these things sink in. But I want to speak to the rest of us for a moment. How do you care for your priest? This is an important thing because we don't oftentimes get to say this, like out of an abundance of humility. We don't usually just say, hey guys, here's how you care for me, right? Um, but so here's how you care for Jared and any other priest you may happen to have. Number one, pray for him. Paul, over and over again in the New Testament, asks people to pray for him, for his ministry, for his preaching, for his health. He's, he's constantly asking for prayer. And this is Paul, the Apostle Paul. If Paul needs that, how much more do your priests and clergy of your church? We need, Jared needs your prayer. If they strike the shepherd, then the people will scatter. We know the harm that it causes when clergy fall. And so therefore, your clergy have particular targets on their back for Satan and those who do his work. Pray for Jared. Pray for your clergy. Number two, follow him. Hebrews 13 says this. Okay, let me explain it. Because as Western Americans, we're not, we don't like this I'm, but it's in here. Like we just, I'm just reading it out of here, okay? Hebrews 13 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls 
as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What we are as priests is fallible men. We are, we are fallible. We make mistakes. We say things. And then we, like, you give an unholy guy a microphone, and then you record everything he says for hours at a time, for decades at a time. We are going to say things we shouldn't say. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to be unclear. We're going to have, we're going to have days when we actually purposefully sin just like you. And this says, but follow your leader. Give them the benefit of the doubt. If they say something that's confusing, then talk to them and ask them questions. Keep the frustration and the anger to a minimum. It is a lofty task. And if you think that it's, that it's scary for us to try to have spiritual authority over other people, which is just a frightening task, the Scripture tells us that we're going to have to stand before God Himself to give an account for our ministry. If you think you scare us, like this is not a quarterly performance review. This is a, an account before the living God who Jared's about to lay on his face and take vows to, and then he's going to have to give an account before him. And any good and holy priest is striving every day to live up to that and needs grace from God, and needs grace from you. And it says, I love the way it's written, let him do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Love him well, let him make mistakes, let him be imperfect, and let us be a community of grace. Number three, I would ask, how do you support your priest? Trust him. Um, perfection should not be a requirement for trust. Um, none of us are perfect. But do you trust that the priests of your church and the deacons of your church, the clergy of your church, that our hearts are for the glory of God, for the sake of the world, and that we are striving as best in our ability and we pray beyond our own ability by the strength of God for your flourishing? We might not always do that well, but that's where our hearts are. So trust. I know that we've all been hurt by being betrayed by church leaders. I know it. But if we stop trusting church leaders, then we have given Satan the victory that he has worked for. If we, have, if we then live in cynicism, if we then live in skepticism, now I'm not saying be ignorant. Jesus said be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves at the same time. But do not let a root of cynicism or fear or anger against the church or her leaders lead you to the place that Satan would have you go. It is an act of will to trust. Last couple of ways you can support your priest. Number four, care for his family. Um, it's, a, it's a hard work to be clergy spouse, to be clergy daughter, and whatever future clergy iteration children you will have. Um, that uh, it's, it's, a, it's a hard role. Care for them well. Ask them how they're doing in the long hours when their husbands are gone, when their dads are gone, when they're carrying the stress of a lot of things. Love his family well. And let me say this. His wife, in this case, Abby, uh, has no expectation of ministry upon her except to love her husband well and to do whatever the Lord calls her. 
She doesn't have to lead the children's choir because she's the pastor's wife. Right? She doesn't have, there's no expectations on a pastor's wife except to be a holy and godly wife, as all wives are called, as all husbands are called to be holy husbands. And her children, his children, it's her children too, but his children, uh, Thea and whoever comes after, if the Lord so grants, there is no expectation on them to behave better because they are preacher's kids. Please never say to a pastor's kids, how dare you act like that? You know, you're the pastor's kid. No, no, no. Our kids are the same as everyone else's kids, right? And so there is no added pressure for them as pastor's kids. Have grace with them and love them well also. They've got a particular and difficult role. And finally, here's one that feels like it's a little out of left field. If you want to support your priests well, if you want to support Jared well, give well to the church. And if you're like, whoa, wait, what? How did that just happen? It, no, let me tell you. Nothing is more discouraging for a priest who has dedicated his life to, to the people of a church to find out that they are not generous people obeying the Lord and that the ministry is quenched and we can't pay staff and clergy well and those sort of things because people aren't giving. Nothing deflates a person's heart and service and forces you to come back and go, oh, I'm doing this for the Lord, I'm doing this for the Lord. If you are leading a congregation that is not giving, it is heartbreaking for the priest. Because it's not about the money. It's about the generosity that we have received from Christ and that we should be showing in our lives. And so if we're not giving well as the church, then the priests wonder, am I going to be able to take care of my own family? Like, am I? And they start to have a fear that they try to remove themselves from, but it's very difficult as well. Be faithful and give well to the church. That's why the Lord has called us to give. Care for your clergy well. Take the time. They give more to you than you know, and they don't ask for glory. So care for them well. And so I close this by coming back to you. Jared, you still with me? Okay, breathing? You've got a pulse, right, Abby? And it's not too high? Okay. Jared, you are about to be ordained to the ancient order of the priesthood. It is a life of profound joy and intense stress and responsibility. And so as a senior priest in God's one holy Catholic and apostolic church, as the dean of the cathedral at Church of the Redeemer, as your rector, and as your friend, I give you this challenge. Be a humble and confident messenger, steward, and watchman. Never let the word of God depart from your lips. Never forget your dependence upon the grace of Jesus Christ. Do great things in, your church, in the church. May your ministry leave an indelible mark on the world. Love people well. And on that last day, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for your ministry in His name, you will hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. A crown of glory awaits. Until that day, you are not alone in this world. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm thankful for you. Your church stands alongside of you, all, as do all the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. May the Spirit give you all the gifts that you need and all of the graces you need to discharge the duties of your ministry that you take vows to fulfill today. May your heart be filled with a love for Christ and a love for His church. 
we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.